Welcome to Three Sports Rankers Season 2, Episode 6. My name is Sam and I am on hosting duty today and, as always, I'm joined by Robin Callum. Now, today's topic, boys, worst Premier League strikers sent into us by Alex Oldland. Rob, you're a Newcastle fan. Callum, you're a West Ham fan. You must have had a lot of uh, yeah, so choices. It's quite tricky to find... Uh, Just three. <laughs> <laughs> Whittle it down. Uh, yeah, there will, be, there will be some Newcastle and West Ham presence, I'm sure, on this list. I would, I would I'd be disappointed if there's not. Yeah. As we mentioned at the tail end of the last podcast, these ones are especially fun, aren't they? Your failures, your capitulations. It's, it's nice to watch our, our heroes struggle, isn't it? We've, I think I've, I've definitely said that before on the podcast. It humanises them a bit, doesn't it? Yeah. And and I think what's slightly different about this is there's a... They're not your heroes? Colossal list to choose from. There's a, there's a massive list to choose from. And do you know what? When I was looking through sort of various lists on the internet of bad Premier League strikers. The one thing that I kept coming back to, and you'll see you'll see this reflected in in my list, is that a lot of the really, really bad ones... Play for West Ham. Well, not only that, but a lot of the really, really bad ones have been relatively recent, yeah. is what I found, is that, you know, since... That culture of throwing... Um... Poor, poorly uh, investigated transfer business. Yeah, so probably since the turn of the decade, since about 2010, I'd say, there's been some really horrendous transfer decisions made by almost every club in the Premier League, you could say. Which is true, so this, this, the, this does differ to greatest transfer flops. Yes. Even if it was just retaining in the striking department. We're look, I imagine for you, you're... And you suppose you didn't, did you? You didn't set any parameters. You're just wanting I, to be convinced. No, I have no parameters. I, I say bring transfer fee in if you want to. Don't bring it in if you don't want to. I'm I'm very open with this. I've not. I say I sort of bow down to your guys' better football knowledge. So I'm very much just keen to hear what you have to say, and I will judge on that. Just a quick update: scores on the doors heading into this episode. Over halfway through the series now, guys. Uh, I am on nine points. I'm in second place. Don't know why I've started there. Odd place to go. Uh, Callum's in seven, and Rob. You're Callum's eight. in seventh. Callum's He's managed to get in seventh <laughs> wow. place in Callum's a three-man podcast. On seven points, Rob. So far, perfect season for you. Eighteen points out of a possible eighteen. So uh, there's a, there's a lot of pressure on you now to get another six here today. If you don't, it's considered a failure of an episode. You keep telling yourself that. <laughs> okay. Well, we are going to kick things off, and uh, Callum, it's you doing the chasing. So I'm going to get you. To go first, please. What is your bronze pick? Okay, so when you get promoted to the Premier League, you get a lot of money. Everyone knows that. What should you not do with that money? My argument would be you probably shouldn't smash your transfer record on someone who's only ever played in the Danish First Division. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Such as Vincent Tan and Cardiff City did for uh, Andreas Cornelius. A then 20-year-old Danish striker um, who admittedly had played... He's all right now. He'd played quite well for Copenhagen, uh, but it was Copenhagen. He'd had 18 goals in 34 appearances for them, which is good for a 20-year-old. And like you say, Rob, he's he's since been okay. He was in Denmark's World Cup squad this yeah, year. Yeah, or to, last year. I think he went to Atlanta. He's on a few loans there. Palmer now, he's I think. He's at Palmer now with uh, fellow Premier League flop Matteo Darmian. Um, but 
Yeah, I mean, he. One thing I don't think you would want to do as a promoted Premier League club is spend eight million pounds. You're absolutely smashing your club record transfer fee. That seems nowadays. That seems such a baffling million. concept. That's a, that's a loan Whole fee now, isn't it? Eight million, yeah. That would have got you. That's the agents' fees, isn't it? Yeah, that would have got you forty percent of Tyrone Mings. But um... <laughs> just both legs. <laughs> um... But yes, so Andreas Cornelius played for Cardiff under both Malky Mackay and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, who, if we were doing worst Premier League managers, would probably come into the come into the uh, question. Um, he was injured in pre-season, not a great start. Um, then came back, missed their first game, missed their first ever Premier League game against West Ham, which I believe they won. Uh, shock. <laughs> He then first mention of West Ham. He he then played in the League Cup game. I think it was probably the second round and was stretched off before half time. Nice, not great. Uh, was three months out and then came back, made a, re- a total of eleven appearances, zero goals, and one relegation before returning to Copenhagen. So his season in England was essentially just an extortionate loan spell. You do you know what you've done by picking this one? Is with that. Completely unknowingly, you've picked on a player who. So I, I, I <laughs> I'd signed him on Football Manager, and I loved <laughs> I him. Be like who I'm related to. I, <laughs> so I loved him, and when the card of signed him, I was so, I was so in on the hype. I was like, this is going to be amazing. Like I'm so excited. He's going to score twenty goals. It's going to be easy. So, so he's I, your my Ganzo, my Joe Linton. Yeah. Oh, we've all got one, haven't we? <laughs> we've all got one. So I loved him when he came over, and I was so so disappointed in how it all turned out. So that is, I think, an excellent start. Rob, where are you going to counter that? So mine is kind of the antithesis of Andreas Cornelius in the fact that you've taken a very, as you mentioned, a short, glorified loan spell, eight games for Cardiff, in the Premier League, that is. No goals, obviously, failed uh, in the top flight. I've gone for someone who I would argue, and this is a bit of a left-field pick, his pure longevity of awfulness, I think, uh, meant that I I was convinced in having him in here. When I was thinking of my my three, he he didn't come to mind whatsoever. But the more I kind of looked at the stats and I thought, yeah, he's possibly the third worst Premier League striker ever. <laughs> Victor Anichebi. Okay. So before you turn your noses up. At Victor Anichebe. Let me just let me let me break it down for you. So the Everton West Brom Sunderland striker. He played in the Premier League for twelve years from two thousand five. That's more years than Cornelius had games. To two thousand and seven. That's two years. Teen. <laughs> <laughs> two thousand five to two thousand seventeen. Twenty seven goals in twelve seasons. How many appearances? 197. Well, that's not great, Jeff. Is that about one in one eight? One in eight-ish. But for me, when you're talking about a striker, how he has managed to forge a 12-year Premier League career by scoring one in eight, he made Bambio Nice look like Bolero. Um, it's very highbrow for this podcast. Yeah, I, I mean, but can you remember how cumbersome he was it's, as a striker yeah. and how little he used to offer? He was just an 
absolute battering ram, but without any of the battering. I'd be he was in- just a ram. I'd be interested to know how many of those appearances were from off the bench. Because My- I, I seem to remember him as like, he'd come on sev- like 60, 70 minutes and do, do nothing. nothing. But, but it- So do- doing nothing for 30 minutes is better than doing nothing for 90 minutes, I suppose. But, but that's a real silver, cla- silver this line. This is what I'm kind of trying to get at, is that there are a million examples of players who've come in from abroad, played less than 10 games in the Premier League, not scored any goals, and then had a career of on-loan appearances. I think Victor Anichibi is very specific in his degree of awfulness, in that he, he, he had just about enough to span a Premier League career, but he was such a bad striker across so many years. I, I appreciate it. it's it's a slightly different take on it, but I, I was so surprised that his career was 12 years long. 197 games, 27 goals. You, you are right in the sense. And there were spells, wasn't there? I remember a specific spell at Everton that got him the move to West Brom. And he just like, how, how has he managed to carve out a Premier League career by being that ineffective given the stats you've just put forward it's quite impressive that he's not spoken about in this kind of conversation more often because coming into this room i didn't think no one victor anichibi was a bad forward but when you put it like that like he basically scored two goals a season for 12 years i can't believe that you stay in the premier league on that and in that sense you are one of the worst psychers the Premier League's ever seen but all 12 on years the flip of them. side of that I would say that he must have shown something to someone for them to keep him on because there, there's no there's no reason that you know he was under David Moyes at Everton and you know Moyes was a good manager at Everton he was a very good manager at Everton he took them took them to places that they they'd not been for 20 years and I think Europe well yeah but he <laughs> he would have been you know, there must have been something that he was showing people in training or, you know, behind closed doors that we weren't seeing and he just wasn't able to... But we absolutely didn't see it, did we? No, but he, that's what I'm saying, is that he wasn't able to translate it onto the onto the pitch in front of 30,000. But he must have been a good Premier League player to have spent 12 years in the Premier League. I just... Otherwise, I think otherwise I think he would have just... fascinatingly intriguing He would have just been about... sold to Barnsley and left to rot. I but this is what I'm saying, and... I don't disagree with that fact, but when you're looking at what he achieved in the Premier League across 12 years, I you will not find a thinner, more sparse return. It's and it's, it's how he managed to get two moves out of it still. It's that when you look at it, it's like sustained mediocrity for 12 years. Less but, than but mediocrity. When, but this is what I'm saying is it's sustained mediocrity, but when you're that mediocre for 12 years, does that pull you down a peg? Like, does that not when mediocre and actually just bad? The Premier League now, so if, and if you don't cut it, you're off. If he'd had, say, three or four seasons, would he even have come close to being in your top three? Probably not. No. But I just, I just think that there is something so... Um, yeah, kind of unrivaled about the longevity of of where you're coming out of it. And and I appreciate it is not your classic pick. It is not your, you know, X amount of games, zero goals or whatever. Because it surprised me. Yeah. I didn't come in here thinking I'd have Victor in each of you, but it just thought I, I need to have him in there. Somewhere. Well, it surprised me. I, I didn't think he'd get a mention, but you have sold it to me. I, I can already tell I'm not going to enjoy 
scoring this one. Uh, Callum, let's come back to you. Let's have your silver pick. So my my silver pick, um, we're recording this at Rob's house, and if you look out the front of his house, you can actually see where this man plied his trade in the Premier League. It's a Man City striker who was bought in 2008, just as the the money started to come into, um, into Manchester City. He was signed from CSKA Moscow, for eighteen million pounds in two thousand and eight, he scored thirty in fifty three. You're thinking that's really impressive. He scored them for CSK in Moscow. Um, Joe, I'd, I'd, uh, yeah, you'd already written I'd already it. written it down. Joe, the Brazilian Joe, um, he managed one goal in twenty one games for Manchester City. I'll read. I'll read you a list of uh, who was brought in that same summer alongside Joe. Joe cost them eighteen million pounds. Robinho, he cost them thirty-eight point seven million. Uh, Nigel De Jong, sixteen point two million. Craig Bellamy, thirteen point nine million. Wayne Bridge, eleven point seven million. Sean Wright Phillips, ten point one million. Shea Given, eight point one million. Pablo Zabaleta, seven point eight million. Vincent Company, seven point six million. Tal Ben five point seven million. Joe managed to cost. Almost three times as much as Vincent Company, and he returned them one goal in 21 games. Was loaned to Everton for 18 months, where he scored five goals in 27 games before he was eventually sold back to Brazil, where he played for Internacional. So his return was roughly the same as Victor and Ichabis. That's the math I was just doing in my head, yeah. But his price tag was extortionate for what they got for him. He was in the Premier League for... uh, Best part of three seasons, and he did absolutely nothing. It's difficult to argue with. It's. It, I think when you think of that new money splurge, Joe is kind of the personification. Yeah, of that, he really it? is. And I did. I did look at you know the new money splurge for City, and I looked at it for Chelsea, Chelsea as well. And, and the, the one that comes to mind is Matteo Kesman. Chelsea got Kesman for four point three million pounds. That's that realistically, that's an absolute snip for what was at the time one of the best young talents in Europe. But um, he became sort of the the warning for buying players from the Dutch first division, didn't he? But I think Joe for eighteen million, especially in in twenty eighteen in sorry in two thousand twenty eighteen to steal twenty eighteen paying eighteen million for anyone is. Yeah, a steal, but in 2008 was a lot of money at that point. So you mentioned the five goals in 28 appearances for Everton? Uh, five goals in 27 appearances for he Everton. He actually scored five goals in 12 appearances for Everton because he had this, his following season on loan at yeah. Everton had no goals. So he actually scored five in 12 one season in the Premier League, which is one every two and a bit. So... In terms of an isolated Premier League season, that's not bad. And fair enough, the following season wasn't great, and obviously the preceding season at Manchester City wasn't wasn't great, but he had a good return in one season at Everton. Do we know, um, just as a counter-argument to that, was there any season where, say, Victor Anichebe scored more than five goals, or was it very much like a two and three split over each year? Or did he have like a ten... He definitely didn't. Did he have a ten, goal, <laughs> a ten goal season? Difficult to tell. I mean, his his longevity was at Everton for sure. Thirteen, kind of five, six to thirteen, eighteen in a hundred and thirty-one would suggest not. You know, he never managed more six than six in fifty-five at West Brom. He never managed more than six in a season for Everton. 
Okay. Okay. That's interesting. I was just just curious so, on those figures. It is interesting that Joe did have sort of a purple patch at one point at Everton, but then, you know, returned the next season to a, a team which, you know, 2009-10 was still under Moyes, wasn't, hadn't changed massively, mm. if at all. And then failed to score in fifteen games. So you know you have to you have yeah. to wonder because I can't imagine that the the system they were playing had changed. No, at all, so I, believe me, I'm 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 nitpicking. But I think if you're looking at worst Premier League strikers and they've had a decent to good season, if one before and one after were poor, kind of undermines it a little bit. But don't get me wrong, Joe is up there. Yeah, we do we do want the worst of the worst. So speaking of worst of the worst, Rob, who's your silver? Well, speaking of the second worst second of the worst. Second worst of the worst. <laughs> the final straw in Kevin Keegan's reign at Newcastle. Isco. Are you aware of Isco, Sam? Callum is. He's uh, nodding. Uh, no. Not, I assume it's not the Real Madrid attacking midfielder. It's the Isco. No, Isco it's Isco with, with an X to start front, with. At the start. X-I-S-C-O. So Isco was signed back under Keegan in 2008 for £5.7 million. Pounds. Not astronomical. Still quite a lot of money in 2008. What's baffling about Isco is that he was brought in at £5.7 million and instantly still seventh choice striker. So he was behind Michael Owen, uh, Newcastle's uh, favourite injury prone. I've heard of him. (laughs) Obafemi Martins, Mark Viduka, Peter Lovenkrantz, Shola Amiobi and Andy Carroll was playing at that point. And Isco still remained seventh choice striker and couldn't oust even one of them from the pecking order. He was brought in for that money, £5.7 million in 2008. And this is more a a comment on the the striking options at Newcastle in particular, but we still got relegated with seven recognised strikers. (laughs) Now, for Keegan's Newcastle, they tried to sell him four months later. Four months after buying him, it was clear that they'd made such a mistake and he was such a poor striker. But FIFA blocked that move as it would have been his third club in one season, which is obviously a recognisable rule now. So signed in 2008, for a player of Isco's phenomenal awfulness, we didn't sell him until 2013. One goal in 11 appearances. Now... I think he, he's Osasuna now, actually, which is probably one of the more higher-profile clubs that he's actually ever been at. He's age 33 now. But at his time at the club, he even found himself under Chris Hewton and under Alan Pardew behind a certain Mr. Niall Ranger in the Newcastle pecking order. And when you're behind Niall Ranger, you know that something's wrong. So Isco, for me, is the epitome of... Money poorly spent, the consequences as well. He epitomised the Mike Ashley regime, which was going to dominate and define Newcastle for the next 10 years after that uh, and beyond. Uh, so Isco is my silver pick. I mean, as much as as much as much he was dreadful, and there's no doubting that he was dreadful. It's just the way he hung around. The, new, the Newcastle mentality of having six strikers on the books and then just going out and spending another six million on a striker is absolutely baffling, especially when you have no idea if he's actually going to fit into the team. So I don't know if you can necessarily place that on Isco himself as opposed, as as much as placing it on 
Mike Ashley and Kevin Keegan. Was, Put it this I, way, he I was ask? unable to jostle any of those seven. Oh, no, I, under, I understand that. I get that. But he was not... Um, you know, it's not like he was he was fighting against other nobodies. Like, Owen had scored probably over 100 Premier League goals at that point. Obafemi Martins was good. Mark Viduka was a very good striker in his day. Andy Carroll was just coming through and was the new sort of hope at Newcastle. And Shola Amiobi was this, you know, cult figure who always popped up with a goal when he what needed to. What I'm trying to. to kind of argue is that it's what is going encapsulated as the... As the arrival at Newcastle. Was he signed to a five-year contract? Is that how he was able to stay there? Or was his contract extended at any point? Do we know? I think he was signed on a five-year deal. On a five-year, yeah. Because that's what we do. We handed out an eight-year deal. (laughs) He did go on loan twice, didn't he? I'm just looking at his... Yeah, so we went out... So Racing Santander and Deportivo La Coruña. Yeah. But it was his time in the Premier League that, as I said, just defined mistakes being made. And... We still had a real shot at being something under Kevin Keegan, but he always goes back to that rec- recruitment of, of Isco and being the final straw. Just, I've just seen uh, in 2010 he found himself behind Amiogi, Carol Lovenkrantz and Niall Ranger. That's, that's, have, you, have you been listening? Have you been listening? I literally yeah, just no, no, said no. he found himself behind Niall Ranger. Oh, sorry, I must have been reading that. And when as you're you behind Niall Ranger in the packing order, you know something's yeah, wrong. I, was, I must have literally been reading that as you said it. The uh, slash not listening. Slash not listening. No, I was listening to everything. I must have just missed that bit. Okay, okay. That's those two. I feel are quite similar. The the Joe and the Zisco in terms of big I think money one, signings. I think that, one more dispensable. Would you argue that Joe was just got rid of quite easily? I, I, I feel like whereas I feel like the Zisco just hung around like a parasite. I feel like Joe or more accurately the nature of Manchester City and what they've become made them able to get rid of Joe if that makes sense so they spent 18 million pounds on him realised they'd made a mistake and quickly shipped him out for for a loss and that didn't really bother them whereas Mike Ashley would have wanted to wait and see you know get absolutely bleed does that not make him worse it makes not... Mike Ashley worse. I wouldn't argue that it makes Isco worse, but it, you know, Mike Ashley but... would have wanted to bleed out the very last pennies of Isco from <laughs> yeah, uh, that phrase sounds bizarre from, from whoever was going contorted. to buy. But I would argue that yeah, his lingering at the club makes makes his time at the club and his impact even worse because he just stuck around and was just okay. annoyingly bad. Okay, I just I, remember I... every preseason, Isco still got a squad number. <laughs> I was so it wasn't, it wasn't like when like Umar Nias was at Everton and got like yeah. Ronald Koeman no, he, didn't even give him a locker was, and, in the and, first and, team and squad. Callum is right I think there was that we've spent money on this player he will train with the first team he just never even made match day squads pointless it, mm, and a very very bad player I was right after bronze I'm not going to enjoy scoring this at all because I have no clear decisions at all yet so uh, let's add another thing into the mix just to make it tougher for me let's have Gold, but let's start with you this time, Rob. Oh, really? Okay. Mm. Just to throw a spanner in the works. The man, the myth, the legend that is, Ali Dia. I've spent enough time with Callum that I know who this is. (laughs) (laughs) Well, for the benefit of the listener, uh, in 1996, the Southampton manager was Graham Souness. He gave an interview to, I think, local television. I mean, Sky doesn't really matter. That he'd taken a call off the one and only George Weyer, the World Player of the Year, 
with a tip-off about his cousin Ali Deer. Now, Sunes went on to say that they'd invited him down to train as Weya and him had played together at PSG from what he was told. And then Deer had been in the second division in Germany and just signed him. And Deer had said he'd played for Senegal the week before and scored two goals for them days before arriving at Southampton. So we get signed with this CV behind him and this, you know, this tip-off from George Weyer. And he get, comes onto the Premier League and he replaces Matt Letizia up, up front for 43 minutes against Leeds in the old Premiership. Now, mm-hmm. what was so evident was that he was so out of his depth, no touch, no skill. He had one shot from the inside right, I believe, and but the Inquisition started to begin. You know, who is this player? What is his background? Now, George Ware was contacted by, I think, the media trying to investigate this. And he said he knew nothing about the call. He knew nothing about the player. But Ali Dia still stuck to his story. And when pushed and pushed and pushed, he said, did, did George Ware recommend you to Graham Souness? He went, well, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what was said. I don't know what was said. So essentially, it turns out that Ali Dia, he had played before arriving at Southampton, but not for Senegal, for Blythe Spartans, nice. the non-league side up in the northwest, uh, the northeast. And the manager of Blythe Spartans was watching Match of the Day that night and suddenly saw a player that he'd released because he wasn't good enough for non-league, getting subbed on in the Premier League for Southampton and thought, something's not right here. So essentially, what I can only surmise is that either his agent or someone representing him called up Graham Souness pretended to be George Weyer, the world player of the year, to give him a tip-off on his man, who was eventually released two weeks into his contract. So although you might not have the numbers and the longevity and maybe things that I've argued in the past, you've essentially got a non-league footballer playing in the Premier League, and in essence, I believe that makes him the worst Premier League striker. I mean, Ali Dia, the story is fantastic. There's no denying that. But I, He just conned his way into the Premier League. That's the thing is, I pretty quickly struck him off my list of people that I was considering for this episode on account of the fact that he's almost fictional. Like, he just, he's not, he's not a footballer. Like, he's just someone who, who conned his way in, like you say. But that's the whole magical thing about it. Because but, but Southampton fans only had to endure 43 minutes of it because he was subbed on and off in the same game. But in essence, this man is a non-league footballer at best, yet he technically has been a Premier League striker. Well, we've not heard anything from Sam on this. Uh, yeah, I, 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 what I want to do first, I want to actually hear from you, Callum, and see what your goal is, because okay. I'm a bit... Yeah, I, I totally get where you're coming from, Rob, but I'm not 100%... Because you are oh. right. Like he is technically. He is as, as this is it. I, yeah, I, as, I, as footballers go, if you put him up against any other Premier League striker in history, he would not be as good as them. What I need, Callum, is I need your goals because I need something to compare it to. Okay, so something to. Gareth Bale was sold to Real Madrid for eighty million, ninety million. With that money, Tottenham spent eighteen, a then club record, eighteen million pounds on Roberto Soldado who returned them seven goals in 52 games, which is, you know, just about an each of be numbers. Four of those, though, were penalties. So essentially, he scored three goals from open play in 52 games. 
Think about it this way. He had scored 63 goals in 120 games for Real Madrid B. He'd scored 29 in 60 for uh, Getafe, so that's about 1 in 2. And he scored 59 in 101 for Valencia, so that's over 1 in 2. So uh, so then Tottenham went out and spent £17 million on him using the money they got for Gareth Bale um, before he scored three goals from open play in, I think it was three seasons? Three seasons for Tottenham Hotspur. Two seasons. Two, 2013 to 2015. You're absolutely right. Two seasons. But I think the reason that Roberto Soldado was such a bad signing was that, you, you know, we've seen where Tottenham are now. Tottenham were Champions League finalists last season. They've got the one of the best strikers in the world in Harry Kane. They've got fantastic defence. The You know, 1-11, to 11, they're a fantastic football team. There's no denying that. But I think the purchase of Roberto Soldado, who was meant to be what Harry Kane has become, has it almost set them back 18 months in their development because he was so bad that they essentially had to play either without a striker or, well, essentially without a striker if Roberto Soldado was playing, or with an ageing striker or a young striker for 18 months, two years, because he just did not cut the mustard in the Premier League. Is he or is he not, though, a worse Premier League striker than Ali Dia? He's not. I don't know yet. I haven't made my mind up. <clears throat> For the effect that he had... I, is he someone... Sorry, Rob. Is he someone that crossed your mind when you were... Kind of, but I think he... Like... Um, Andreas Cornelius. Y- your, th- your three are quite similar. I they are, argue. and I think... And I think they're... You could make arguments to do with for... The... You could make arguments for any three of them being in any of the three positions and then you could probably toss in another 10 on the top of it i had i what happened was i set myself parameters for this episode because otherwise i would have just come in and been like savio benny mccarthy and ilan david dimicheli um but any number of west ham strikers but what i did was i set myself parameters where i said you know they have to be for a they had to come in and cost a relatively large amount of money for the club. For the club at so, the time, So, you know, yeah. £8 million for Andreas Cornelius for a newly promoted Cardiff is comparatively, comparative to seven, uh, a club record £17 million for Roberto Soldado. So I think that's that's why you've not got like a, an Ilan or a, a Savio or an Ali Dia in my list. And I actually wrote down a number of players that I didn't include who I could have included and reasons why I haven't included them. Mm-hmm. Simone Zazar was a loan signing. Park Chu Young didn't make enough appearances. Steve Marley scored double-digit goals. Maran Shamak, like Victor Anichibi, had longevity in the Premier League, which I think is a sign of quality behind closed doors and to managers and people like that. Andre Voronin was a free. Andre Shevchenko had great success elsewhere. Savio Ensereco gives me PTSD, and Ali Dia is <laughs> practically fictional. So, I I I had all those parameters set out, and that's why I came out with Roberto Soldado I've, number one because of um, because I would argue that there are so many of these. There are so many of these strikers that you could just toss in the hat and make an argument for because I think they're very comparable. Fee, goals, return. You know, they are what, peas in a pod. It, yeah, and what, it, what they gave to the club, wasted money, set them back several years, whatever. I think it's so easily chopping and changeable. I've tried to isolate things to make go three, two, one. One is longevity of continued 
media or less than what I would argue, less than mediocrity. One is defining a regime. And okay, you could argue that that's more than Mike Ashley's fault than Isco's fault. But I think that find me a striker who's been behind so many others in a pecking order. And then the Ali Dia one just stands on its own because you will not find a worse Premier League striker than Ali Dia because the man's a non-league at best. Okay, well, I need I need to make my choices because otherwise this podcast could go on for a long time. Um, I'm just going to work my way up the podium, so I'm going to start with bronze. And I'm going to give the bronze to Rob and Victor and each of you. I didn't think that would happen at all, but you actually really sold me on... You, I feel like I learnt something today. That Victor <laughs> Nietzsche is actually not a good striker, regardless of the fact he's had 12 years. I think 12 years of mediocrity makes you worse than like three or four years of mediocrity. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Callum, because Rob's nodding. Uh, kind kind of. Yeah, but I, also like if you're just if you're just one level for three or four years and you sudden you don't suddenly get better. Well, or the thing worse. Is, I, okay, so I, I don't kept, feel I, like the club. When that you I don't when get I read it, I, I basically thought, how the hell has this guy not ended up in the championship and and tumbling down? I basically I came into this knowing Cornelius was bad. Today I learnt that Nietzsche was bad. Which is why I've given the bronze <laughs> that way round. Um, silver, I'm gonna go for Joe because. I think Callum's points about Zisco was bad, but I think a lot of that was out of his control. I think coming in that low down a pecking order... You, it's insane. <laughs> it, it's insane, but that is not necessarily a problem, not necessarily something he can fully control. Um, so I think... And those two, I said at the time, I thought they were quite comparable. I'm going to give that one to Joe. The goal is where I'm really struggling. Um, I'm really struggling kind of with because uh, yeah you are right Rob he is the worst Premier League striker but Callum's also right that he's basically a fictional character he's because... not fictional though because <laughs> it's a mythical wonderfully intriguing tale but the reason why it's so incredible is it actually happened and there's footage of him playing for Southampton against he, Leeds like I say he only bothered Southampton for 43 minutes Roberto Soldado bothered Tottenham for Two seasons, and then because the rest... he arguably wasn't as bad as Ali did, and then the rest of the time that he had, you know, the rest of the time that they had to grow after the Soldado saga, I th- I, I would argue that they, you know, I, I said it, I said it while I was while I was presenting it that I feel like the signing of Soldado set them back eighteen months, and I I stand by that. I don't feel a hundred percent comfortable doing this, but I am going to give the gold. To Rob and Ali Dia because at, oh. at, 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 the, at the most basic level, Rob is absolutely right. He is historically, technically, the worst Premier League striker ever. Which means shock, Callum doesn't do well again. Callum gets two points, which brings you up to nine level with me. So me and Callum, I mean, what is the point of carrying on this podcast this season? Uh, you and me are Again, on nine. Tune in next week. <laughs> <laughs> I've not sold it well this season at all. Um, and Rob, you are now on an unassailable. Is it unassailable? Twenty-two well, no, points. We've still got bonus, listener points. Listeners bonus points. Listener points. Which I keep forgetting about because they're coming in after season eight. So season eight. Episode eight. Wow. <laughs> eight. Let's just bank them up, guys. <laughs> They're oh, coming in I'm after episode eight. Season so, though, winner. if uh, if listener points go your way, it's unassailable. 
look, put it this way: you are in the driving seat right now. It's it's uh, it very much is yours to lose. I enjoyed that one. There was some there were some good debates, some really good debates. I I really struggled marking that. I really really struggled marking that. I didn't want to. Uh completely well i suppose i need to stay completely and utterly true to myself isco was a completely heart personal it felt it felt it a little bit and i kind of knew i tanked it but it just had to be the man hurts yeah i was saying at the start rob you didn't get six points today you're feeling quite disappointed with your performance 22 to 9 to (laughs) 9 i'm all right (laughs) um okay right we had better uh begin to wrap this up next week episode seven rob we're back to you in the hosting chair so a chance for me and callum to probably somehow not pick up any points share the the points evenly between you yeah exactly we don't want to happen so what have you got for us next week okay so season two episode seven seven, i'm losing track will be greatest sports video game franchises so initially it was going to be greatest sports games but i think it's boring to argue that FIFA 19 superior to FIFA 18. So I just want you to pick a franchise. So I'm looking for your Brian Lara cricket versus your championship manager versus your FIFA versus your Tiger Woods PGA or whatever they're called now. So or I want you to... Or PGA <coughs> is that what they are called? Yeah. That, yeah, that, okay. So I want you to go away and I want you to come back. I'm not going to make any preconceptions about this. I want you to absolutely... Because we've all played them. We've all played different sports games, video games over over the years. So I want you to come back and argue. You can use sales if you want. You can just fight the corner in terms of how fun it is, how great a sport a simulation it is, the you know, reenactment of the sport, the areas, the modes, the playing styles, whatever. I just want you to sit there and convince me that these games are better than each other early clarification Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Games does it count no well that's that's thrown him that was that's easy. really changed things but you up. can use what I think the Beijing 2008 Olympic Games that the Athens one was unbelievable that broke one my controller I, with the running yeah. Yeah. so many controllers burnt through with that so yeah that is the topic for next week that's a good one I like that do Remember to check us out across all social medias, Three Sports Rankers on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. That's three with the number three we've changed for this series, so it's all uniform. Um, Do rate and review and tell your friends and just get the word out there about Three Sports Rankers. We want as many people to listen as possible and uh, we want you guys to get involved as much as possible. Send us in any strikers we missed at all, didn't mention at all in the podcast. I'm sure there are loads of people are going to say, how didn't you mention that? But anyway, that's going to uh, going to wrap us up for this week. Do join us next week for the greatest sports video games franchise. Until then, have a good week. 